Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Come as we think about the presentation of our Lord. It's kind of the completion of our Christmas celebration. We thought it might have been on Christmas morning or perhaps the 12 days of Christmas, but when we come to this day, 40 days later, God has uh, kind of put a bow on Christmas for us because his son is brought to the temple. Here he is presented before the Lord. He is presented as the firstborn son who opened Mary's womb. And in doing so, he is put forward as one who will belong to God. He already belonged to God as his only begotten son. Now, as the child born of Mary, he also belongs to God, dedicated for the work God's going to give him to do. And so this moment where they stand there in the temple, and here is uh, Simeon holding baby Jesus, and he says, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. It's a Trinitarian moment of tremendous and profound beauty. Because Simeon is lifting up Christ and is speaking to the Father. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. But he might also be talking to this little baby whom he holds because he recognizes that this is the Lord's Christ. Lord, baby Jesus, now you let your servant go in peace. But how did he know who it is that this child was? He had been told by the Holy Spirit himself that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he might also be speaking to the Holy Spirit. Lord, Holy Spirit, now you let your servant go in peace, for I have seen what you promised I would see. There is Simeon in that moment of holding Christ in the temple, praising and speaking to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with one sentence. Because each one of them has made this moment possible. The Father in sending his Son, Christ in taking on flesh, the Spirit in bringing the word to Simeon and creating faith in his heart so when he walks into that building at the right time and sees the right child and holds him, he knows what to say. That this is the Lord. What a beautiful, glorious thing that is. When you then sing the Nunc Dimittis after communion, And you're speaking the same thing. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now you let your servant depart in peace. Because I have partaken of the body and blood of Christ my Savior who died on the cross. And he came because he was sent by the Father. And his word has been maintained and spoken and taught and preached and now given here in this feast so that when I partake, the Holy Spirit has caused this feast to take place by the word that was spoken. So Christ is present, the Son of the Father. And you eat and drink the body and blood under the bread and wine of the true Messiah. And you praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in that moment, just like Simeon did. That's why, if physically possible, and it's not always physically possible, but if physically possible, we take this on our knees because we stand in the presence of God Almighty and we bow the knee to his glory and we come in humble supplication to receive what he has for us.
it's beautiful. There is so much beauty in this day. And it's a day that we often forget. And that's part of why these beautiful days that we often forget are so special to us when we have the chance to celebrate them, right? Because Christmas Eve, the whole church is filled and the loud singing and all of that, it's great. But then on these quiet days, the whole world is passed by and forgotten. But we gather and remember of the little flock of Christ gathering and remembering and finding peace in his gifts. It's a beautiful, beautiful day. Now, that being said, we also have other readings that help us understand what happened that day in the temple. Take a look at our psalm, for example, Psalm 84. If you could turn to that really quickly. This is a psalm of people who were on their way to Jerusalem. They were living in faraway places, maybe Nazareth, for example or Galilee. And as they gathered together, they were on their way to Jerusalem, and they would sing these psalms as people who were heading to worship, maybe for a different feast or festival or sacrifice. And as you got to Jerusalem, you had to climb up a hill, a winding. Once you got to the top of the hill, you had to climb the Mount, Temple Mount. And so to encourage each other along the way, to remind them with celebration what what they were going to see and do, they would have different psalms. And they would call them psalms of ascent, psalms of journey. And that's the theme here. In Psalm 84, they're singing about how lovely is the dwelling place of God, the temple, and how their soul longs and faints to be in the courts of the Lord. And this beautiful little image uh, that, you know, here's the temple, It didn't have like a a closed air conditioning system. It was wide open. And here was a little sparrow that had flown in and found a little nook and a cranny near the altar and made a little nest. And the little birds would cheep and peep when they'd come out and poke their heads out of the nest. And David, whoever was writing this psalm, is walking in. Well, David, the temple didn't exist. So it wasn't David. But you know what I mean. He walks in and there is this little bird. And he remembers that and writes it in there. That even the little birds are welcome in God's presence. And it's sweet and it's beautiful and it makes our hearts filled with joy at the humbleness of God and the glory of God being shown side by side. Right? It's not the mighty eagle that flies in and makes its nest near the altars. It's the humble little sparrow and even the humble sparrow is welcome. And if the humble sparrow is welcome, so will you be welcome, right? Get it? Beautiful. But notice a little bit farther in the psalm as they're walking along. Verse 9, it says, Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. Who is the anointed of God? The anointed is another name for the Messiah. Look upon the face of your Messiah, your anointed one. Who is the anointed one? At that moment, as they're singing this psalm and walking up, they don't know who the Messiah is, do they? But they know what? God will send his anointed one. He will be there one day. And so they say this in faith as they walk up. Behold our shield, O God. Look upon the face of your anointed. You know who that anointed one is. We don't yet know. But 
one day he will come. And we approach you in faith that when he gets here, he will save us. He will be our shield. He will defend us against the evil one. He will do battle against him and crush his head. And when he comes, we know you will do this. And so they pray, behold our shield, Lord. Look upon the face of your anointed and know that we believe in him, even though yet we do not know who he is. What a statement of faith in the Messiah. Isn't that beautiful? And look, it goes onward. That was verse 9. And he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. A day, you know, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. In other words, just one day with you is better than a thousand days elsewhere. And it's a statement, I think, of the coming hope of heaven. One day we'll be with you in the presence of the Messiah. We'll see you with our own eyes. And a day will be like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. That's a beautiful statement of faith. Now, when they interact with God in the temple, it's setting the stage for when they will interact with God in heaven. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Let me be even just a humble servant in your home than have all the wealth of wickedness. Now look again in verse 11. We come back to the Messiah theme. For the Lord God, notice that word Lord there, all capitals, you're talking Yahweh. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. Look back in verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Who is the shield? God's anointed, right? You see that? God's anointed one, the Messiah, is their shield. Now look at verse 11. The Lord God, Yahweh, is a sun and a shield. In a sense, what are they saying? When the Messiah comes, he will be our shield. The Lord God is our shield. Ergo, the Messiah is going to be the Lord God, Yahweh. Isn't that interesting? When the Messiah comes, he will be Yahweh. The Lord in the flesh. Wow. So when Simeon walks into that room, that big, beautiful temple, and holds this humble baby and says, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. And he understands that he's looking at the face of God. Not only has it been taught to him by the Holy Spirit, directly, but by the Holy Scriptures, the Incarnation. That when God comes to save in the person of his Messiah, God truly comes to save because he is the Messiah. Wow. But this is a concept that was hard for the Jewish people to understand because Yahweh how could he become a man? And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The book of Hebrews was a book written, we don't know exactly whom, but it was a sermon, a set of sermons perhaps, that was preached to Jewish Christians 
who were struggling to maintain their faith having become Christians because uh, the Jewish community was, was pressuring them to come back again, to reject Christ. And they were coming up with all sorts of arguments about why Jesus could not be God, could not be the Messiah. He was just an angel or something else. And the sermon preached in Hebrews is basically saying to them, look at all the evidence that shows that Jesus is the Messiah and he is Yahweh in the flesh. And if you leave him, you lose everything. That's what Hebrews is about. It's a beautiful book. But listen to what it says in our reading for today. And keep in mind what we just heard from our psalm. It says this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, in other words, the children whom God is coming to save, we, his children, have flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He took on flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. How is it that God could die, who is eternal, if he did not have flesh and blood like we have, which can die? In order to destroy death, he had to enter into death. And he could not enter into death unless he was a human being who could die. But in order to save us, he had to be a human being who could die who had never sinned so that he could enter into death, destroy death, and then exit out of death. And if he had his own sin, he couldn't do the exiting out of death part for he would only be dying for his own sins. So God took on flesh just like the children he was going to save had flesh and blood, so that he could die like they die, but destroy death who had power over them and come out of that death alive again and lead us out of captivity into freedom. Only Jesus could do that. What an incredible statement of God's love. His humility his compassion that Jesus looked upon you having flesh and blood, flesh and blood that's tempted to sin, falls into sin, wanders away from God, loves what is evil rather than what is good, and he was willing to take on that flesh and blood so that he might die your death, destroy death, and lead you to eternal life. Lord, now you let your servant go in peace because this baby is here to save me. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Slavery to the fear of death. Now you don't need to be afraid. Because Jesus Christ has become your Lord. Satan is no longer your Lord. Christ is your Lord. And he comes to you not with the fear of death, but with the hope of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and his protection and peace. And you don't need to be afraid anymore. For surely it is not angels that he helps. Jesus didn't come to die for the angels. He came to die for the offspring of Abraham. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He had to be fully human just like you are. So that the high, as the high priest would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people of Israel. Now Jesus is a high priest who offers a sacrifice on behalf of all of his people. Jews and Gentiles, he offers a sacrifice on their behalf. And the priest has to be like the people he serves. And so he was human, with hands and feet that could be pierced a side and organs that could be pierced, a head that could hold the crown of thorns, a back that could feel the whip. All of these things he had to have just like you so that he could save you. Right? So that he could make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Dear Lord, don't punish the people. They can't take it. It will destroy them. This damnation will be awful. Instead, punish me. Take my blood, not theirs. Take my life, not theirs. Take my death, not theirs. It is a propitiation. God puts forward the sacrifice who takes your place. And instead, you get the benefit of his life, his death, his resurrection. A trade. He took on flesh so that he might die your death so that he might rise again and give you his life. He did all of this for you. And one thing to understand about this, when he did this, he had never sinned, right? It's perfect. Now you see, here's the interesting point that Hebrews is making. Do you think it was easy for Jesus to do any of this? We understand that when it came to... Uh, noon on Good Friday and the nails were in his hands and feet, that that was hard, right? We get that. Three hours of agony. We get that. That's awful. But look at what Hebrews says. Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How long was this journey hard for him? The whole time from being born of the Virgin Mary until he was risen from the dead it was a challenge to him because constantly Satan was coming to tempt him. Constantly Satan was coming to attack him. Constantly he was dealing with all of the tr struggles and temptations of this world. And he never once gave in. Look at Christ. We see him after he was baptized out in the wilderness being tempted. Does it look like it was a challenge? You might think, ah, oh, Jesus, he's got that slam dunk, no problem. But he humbled himself and endured what you endure. He carried what you carry. He was tempted like you were tempted. Why would he go through that? As God, he didn't have to, but he did. Why? So that when you are tempted, he might come to you and say, I understand. I get it. I feel it. I have known it. I have carried it. I have walked it. And I have saved you. And I can help you. And 
not only can I forgive you, but I can have compassion on you because I know how hard it is. And I can love you and take you by the hand and walk with you. Christ is a propitiatory sacrifice. He took your place. But not only did he take your place, he gets how hard it is. He was tempted like you're tempted, but without sin. My goodness, that's beautiful. What kind of Lord do you have? Do you understand how he loves you? He didn't take the easy road for one second. Every moment, he bore you in his heart to save you. So when you come to him on your knees and you tell him, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins, he understands and he forgives you. And when you say to him, Lord, help me for I'm tempted, he understands He is a good Lord in every possible way. And on this day, we celebrate that. Thanks be to God. For Jesus. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ to life everlasting.